Good morning, Glenridge family. We come to you this Sunday, the 30th day of lockdown. Officially, after Thursday's announcements by the president, it looks like we're going to be in various stages of unlocking from the lockdown. And it seems that as a church, we're not going to be able to meet for some time. So Sunday's on a television and connecting via Zoom and connecting via social media and, and various digital platforms is going to be the order of the day for the next little while. But friends, I want to say to you, we are extremely, extremely excited. We were chatting as an eldership team the other day, and we asked the question, what do you feel God's doing? And friends, there's a unanimous sense of God is taking the church deeper. God is changing, taking the church wider. God is taking the church higher. God is taking the church further than what it's ever been before. And I trust that you are finding courage in God and finding hope in Him and, uh, and really coming to grips with this situation that we're in. One of the things that, that I've had to wrestle with is, is kind of you go through those grieving cycle that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross spoke about. And it's the, the, fir the first one is denial and then the next one is anger. And then the next one is bargaining. And then the next one is depression. And then the final one is acceptance. And I think in any form of loss, you kind of go through that cycle in some form or other. And we certainly pass the denial stage. We, we know that this is real and it's not going away. Um, we're probably getting through the anger part and, and we're kind of in the bargaining part. But God, if you did this and who are you and, and all those sorts of things. And friends, what we don't want to do is we don't want to move into a depression Actually, what we're wanting to do is we want to move into a place of acceptance and embracing the season that we're in, friends. As I said last week, we don't want to be holding our breath and hoping we're going to hold our breath long enough to be able to get through this. We, know, we need to learn to breathe in a new environment. We need to learn to breathe underwater, uh, excuse the metaphor, and, and, and to be able to exist and to thrive in the place that we find ourselves in. And God has a, is an amazing mechanism in the church. His people, his called out ones, those that, are, that he loves, those that are the apple of his eye, to help them to thrive in any and every situation. And I trust that you are finding yourself in a, in a good place. And if you're not, please, friends, get hold of one of us, get hold of somebody. We'd love to chat to you. I'd love to have a FaceTime or a Zoom with you or a telephone call and just encourage you and try to be with you as much as we we possibly can. Please send, if you haven't got numbers, please just send a message to the to the, the, the Glenridge WhatsApp information and number and just, just say, listen, we need help. Please, can I have some prayer? Would be an easy way to do that and we'll get people onto you and, uh, and, try to, and try to just pray with you and help you where we can. Bless you guys. You are a phenomenal church and exciting about what God is wanting to do. One of the questions that I've really had to that to answer in my own heart over this time, particularly, friends, in the area of provision, financial provision. And I felt God say to me, stop worrying about how and start worrying about who. Uh, stop worrying about how it's going to come. Stop worrying about all the, all the intricacies and your, all your strategic plans and ways and what you think and if it could come and if it couldn't come and how it could come and how possible it is and how unlikely provision or protection or anything is likely to come. But actually focus on who is the provider. Focus on who is protector and find strength in me. And I trust that we over this time can find Jesus and find God in a profound way, friends. 
Bless you. We are, I'm looking forward to this morning uh, in line with this kind of embracing and accepting where we are and, and in the season we're in. I've been, I've been reading Romans chapter 8 from verse 18 on to the end of the chapter. And I've been really stirred around what Paul says to the Romans. And uh, if I had to name this, 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 this preach something, I'd call it something like uh, expectant suffering or hopeful hardship, hopeful in hardship. It's kind of, we know, we're, we know the reality of hardship or we know the reality of the suffering. And we, but actually in this place, when we learn to breathe in a new environment and we learn to embrace the place that we're in, there's a process where we can step, that, that difficulty can turn into a hope, can turn into a hunger, can turn into an expectation for what God wants to do into the future. And uh, when I had a look at Romans chapter 8, I just started feel, started to see God in speaking to me. And I, again, all of these messages, friends, we, we've diversed, we've digressed from, the, from the, the, the book of Acts for this time, simply because... We want to find, really trying to hear what God's saying to us as a community for us. And most of what's coming out of this, friends, is actually what's happening in my heart. It's actually what's happening in me and what God's speaking to me about. So I really trust it is, hope, it is helpful to you. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to 28 and read what it says there. There it is. Romans chapter 18, Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to 28. This is the NIV version. I consider that all our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits an eager expectation for the sons of God or the people of God or the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but out of the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who, are, who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Now I'm going to stop there. Friends, this is a wonderful, wonderful passage. And I started realizing here that Paul started giving us some, some keys or some ways or some understanding about how do we, as the people of God, in a place of difficulty, in a place of hardship, in a place of suffering, how do we keep our joy? How do we remain expectant? How do we remain hopeful in the midst of hardship? 
And I, and I came up with four reasons, and there's, there's plenty in here. You, this text you could preach on for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. But I came up with four reasons why we don't have to lose our hope in hardship. Parents, hope is a fuel to our hearts at this time. We need to have hope at this stage in, 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 the, in this pandemic. And we need to know that there's a bright future ahead. If we lose hope, friends, we'll lose heart and we'll be, we, we won't be useful to ourselves, to our families, and to, or to anybody around us. We've got to be people that are hopeful at this stage. And the four things are this. I'll give them to you, then we're going to get into them. The first one is this, is that suffering and glory are inextricably linked. Number two, if God is for you, who can be against you? In that one, I want to, I want to get into a kind of a controversial topic that's been discussed and I've been thinking through for years now. And I, and I want to give you some of my reasoning around, is God involved? Did God bring judgment through Corona? And I want to put it under the heading, is, if God is for you, who can be against you? The third thing is the power of the providence of God. The power of God's providence in our lives gives us hope. And number four, we are living God's redemption story, not his original story. We are living God's redemption story, not his original story. So let's get into number one. The first one is this. The reason why we can have hope, the reason why we can have hope and we can in fact have joy in a moment of tough circumstances is this. The first thing is this. Suffering and glory are inextricably linked. Friends, it says in that text, in fact, it says in verse 17, a little bit before the, what we read there, it says this. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And then he goes on to say, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be in us, that will be revealed in us. Friends, we've got to know this, the glory of God that is to be revealed in us and the glory of God that's going to be revealed here is talking about the glory that will be revealed to in us one day. But can I say the glory of God and the suffering of his people are inextricably linked. We do not understand because of the culture that we live in and the, and the kind of pop theology that we listen to and the voices that are around, how much of a prosperity mindset we have as a people of God as the church generally. And actually, friends, when we start to read the scriptures, the glory of God, the coming of the glory of God, and the suffering of God's people are inextricably linked. He doesn't try to hide it. Paul doesn't try to say, listen, you're not going to suffer. He actually explicitly says that the present day that suffering that you are going through at this time is nothing in comparison to what's coming and the glory that is going to be revealed. Paul wants us to know that it's not strange for believers, for followers of Jesus to be suffering. And in fact, if we want to see more of the glory of God, actually the suffering that we walk through, the, the hardship that we get through, the wrestle in our hearts as we ask questions and, and, and don't have answers and live in the mystery and we find God in the midst of suffering, friends, is the glory that's going to be revealed comes after that wrestle. And friends, suffering and glory are inextricably linked. Friends, we've got to understand God has won this battle. We are in an unshakable kingdom. But friends, we've got to know this. 
is that if we want to see the glory of God and all of us are wanting more of revival and we're wanting more of God and we're wanting the glory of God and the presence of God to be so powerfully uh, uh, around us and on us, friends, we've got to know this. There is going to be some suffering to come. And I want to just let us know that this is normal. This is, this is, not, this is not out of the ordinary. This is not like, well, God, you've, defe- you've, 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 you've left us. God, you're not there. No, no, friends. Actually, Paul very strikingly says, suffering and glory are inextricably linked. The second thing what I want to, that we want to talk about is this, is that if God, if you want hope in suffering, is this. If God is for you, who can be against you? Now, friends, I want to, I want to end this moment. It, uh, the reason why I'm saying this is because this text talks about creation that was frustrated and longing and groaning for its redemption. So it talks about creation itself and it, and it links the creation groaning and the, and the sons and the daughters of God coming to fullness. And so often what we do when it comes to the environment is that we look to the environment to encourage us. Actually, creation looks at the sons and daughters of God and waits in anticipation for the sons and daughters of God to be glorified, to, to come into to come into ascendance, to come into a place that God has for them, which will ultimately come in the new heaven and new earth. And actually it longs for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed so that its emancipation, so that its liberation can come into fullness. We want to go green. Friends, I want to say to you is that actually what we see as green, what we see as nature is actually not nature as God intended it. That is fallen nature, as beautiful, as inspiring as it is. Imagine what it's going to be like without a fall, without a uh, sin-drenched planet and universe, what it's going to look like. Even now in its brokenness, in its distortedness, actually the the power of God is revealed through that distortedness. But friends, imagine what it's going to look like as we go forward and we move into and start to dream of, of of a creation that is that is unblemished by sin. The creation that we, con- we see now is not as God originally intended it. There's more. It's greater. It's more beautiful. It's more magnificent. And so creation was liberated, is waiting to be liberated from its, its bondage to decay. The fr- friends, and the reason why this is important is this. And the reason why I want to I jump, I want to go down a little bit of a rabbit trail here is that people are asking God, asking this question, is Corona the judgment of God? Is Corona God saying, right, I'm finished with you, I'm going to wipe out half of you? And people, friends, and I just, just so you know, people ask that questions when there's a tsunami. People ask that questions, and people have been asking that question right through history because this is not the first pandemic that was ever come about. There have been pandemics right through the ages. I was researching uh, this week on all the pandemics of the different times and and how they would how pandemics would literally come and take out thirty percent of the population of the earth. It was like proper numbers and hundreds of millions of people people dying. Something that we haven't lived through for a very long time. Friends, I don't believe it is God. And I think if it was God, what we should do is we should stop praying. And we should stop researching because then we want the full effect of what God wants to do to happen. And we don't want to interrupt God and stop what he's trying to do or trying to communicate. 
Friends, I don't believe it is the judgment of God. And I want to give you some of my reasoning as to why I don't believe that this is the judgment of God. The first thing is this. And it, it, my reasoning comes in four parts. The first one is this. It's the part that probably most people would say in response to this. Most believers, most Christians would say, yeah, but we live in a fallen world and we have fallen human beings and sin has, uh, has corrupted us as human beings. And so, so I want to talk about, first of all, the human beings that are fallen. The, 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 the fact that, friends, we live in a fallen world means that you and I make bad choices, that people make evil decisions, that, and, and those evil decisions have evil consequences. And so the reason why I don't believe any of these things are, are God is that actually God has entrusted human beings with free will, with free choice, because of his love for them, that they can do what they want to do and not choose him and rebel against him and live independently of him. And what that does is that puts into cycle a whole bunch of consequence, which is not God, it's us. That's the first thing, is that human beings are fallen people. And in that fallenness, friends, it leads to greed, it leads to racism, it leads to polarizing, it leads to me having more than the person next to me, it leads to me and, and, and me having more at the expense of somebody else, me, me being in a, in a place of extreme um, selfishness and self-centeredness. That's the first reason why we have some of these things that happen. I'm not saying COVID was there because of somebody's human uh, evil. I just, I'm just saying generally, the reason why these things, one of the reasons is that human beings make bad choices. They live independently from God. And those choices and those evil decisions and those evil actions have consequences which bring about destruction in the earth. The second thing is this, is what this, this text talks about. That creation which is in bondage to decay. Friends, I, we need to understand this. God doesn't have to do anything. The creation itself is in bondage to decay, which means you're going to have tsunamis. It's not as the creation is not as God intended it. You're going to have tsunamis. You're going to have pandemics. You're going to have viruses. You're going to have all these things that are harmful to human beings being coming through the decay, which is already in the earth. So that's the second reason why we don't have to do anything, friends. All we have to do is understand that we are in a fallen humanity as well as have a fallen earth, an earth that is not perfect. I was looking at some stats of the, and this is quite interesting for, uh, for, the, for some of you history buffs, looking at some of the stats for the, for the plague, the bubonic plague uh, uh, pandemic. 200 million odd million people died in that time. And uh, it was in the 19, sorry, 1350s or thereabouts. And they started to realize that actually this was getting transmitted by people. So what they started doing was they would stop sailors on ships coming into cities and say, listen, you need to, you need to wait on the ship for, for 30 days. Prove that you're well before you come in. They, they, they didn't quite know how it worked, but they knew that, was a, that social distancing was a way to go. And friends, I want to... It, what's quite interesting about that is those 30 days was in Venetian law was called a, a Trentino. A Trentino, 30 days of, of setting yourself apart, of isolating was called a Trentino. And what they realized is that 30 days wasn't enough. So they made it 40 days. And you know what they called the 40 days? They called the 40 days was called a Quarantino, 
which is where we get our word quarantine from. So the very fact that we have a quarantine, a word called quarantine, is, a, is an indication to history and of history that actually, friends, these things happen, have happened right through human history, where these significant moments have come. And friends, and one of the reasons is, is because the earth is subject to decay and is longing to be liberated and brought back into its rightful place as God intended. The third thing, the first one is we are fallen human beings. We live in a second thing is we live in a fallen earth. The third thing, friends, of the reason why bad things happen without God having to do anything is that we are in a war. We are in a war. What, what do you mean, Stan, you are in a war? Friends, at the fall in Genesis chapter 3, human beings were not the only ones to rebel against God. There were heavenly beings. This is what the scriptures talk about, friends. And for us in our Western mind, it's difficult to grapple with this. But actually, we weren't the only ones to rebel against God. There were spiritual beings. There were heavenly beings that rebelled against God. And some of them, those created beings, those heavenly beings that didn't have bodies like ours, but they were physical beings. And they, they, they were created to serve God and, 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 to, and to serve humanity on behalf of God. And some of them decided that they would not do what God would do. And so a demonic realm was created, principalities and powers. And friends, so what we have here is that we have, we're in a war. Those principalities and, pow and powers that rebelled against God, those heavenly be beings that walked away from God, are at work against us and against God. That is why the Bible says our fight is not against flesh and blood but against powers and principalities. So friends, God doesn't have to do anything for there to be chaos. Fallen human beings will create chaos. A, a, a decaying wall, a world, a earth, a universe will create chaos. And heavenly beings that are in rebellion against God will create chaos. These are simple things, friends. These are, these are basic kind of understandings of what's going down in Scripture. And then fourthly, the reason why I don't believe that God is doing these things is the revelation of God that we have in Jesus Christ from the New Testament. Friends, what we see in Jesus is we see Jesus who is the exact representation of the Father bringing life. We see Jesus coming in and healing diseases, not creating diseases. We see Jesus coming in and overcoming death, not creating death. We see Jesus coming against all disorder, disease, judgment in a, in a big sense. Jesus came and inaugurated the kingdom of God. Jesus came in and brought the kingdom of God back to earth, back to, back to humanity and said, if you put your trust in me, the kingdom of God is yours. Come and believe in me and get on with my redemption plan. Get on with my redemption plan so that we can get beyond the, so we can get not just back to the original plan, but actually get better than the original plan that God originally intended. The, the text that I absolutely, I, I fell in love with when I first, when I first got saved was the first test, a text that I memorized as a new believer. And it's, one, it's Colossians 1, 19 to 20. And it starts, it says this, for God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, dwell in Christ. God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him and through him, to reconcile all things to himself, all things in heaven and all things on earth by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. 
Friends, everything in the nature of God seen through the life of Christ is reconciliation, health, life, and joy and abundance. And friends, we live in this space now between the already not yet of that coming. But friends, this, I believe, is a big indication that it's not God judging us and not God doing anything. What we have, friends, is a fallen humanity, a fallen world. We've got fallen heavenly beings, and we have, but we have the richness of the life of Christ showing us who God is in these days, showing us that actually we've got to take our cure for Jesus to see the nature of God. Isn't it interesting if there was a moment for God to express that kind of nature, just to, to judge humanity, would God not have come as a military commander and literally just smacked Rome at the time and said, listen, I'm king, my Messiah's king, stop it, finished, done. No, what does Jesus do? Jesus comes in and dies to save the world. Jesus comes in and he defeats the evil that's behind Rome. He doesn't squash Rome. He comes in and defeats the evil that is empowering Rome and humanity and all those things that are not in accordance with God's world. Friends, between a twisted humanity, a twisted creation, twisted human beings, friends, God doesn't have to do anything for mayhem to happen on this earth. Friends, this is important because if you believe that God is bringing this, friends, it's going to affect your prayer life. You don't know how to pray. Friends, I want to say to you, friends, we are in a war. The enemy has done this. This is a ploy from the enemy. Think of it, friends, isolating people, isolating people. When people, if it was God doing it, God would bring people together. Friends, this is the evil, this is the evil one. This is ploys that are not from God working to contend against God. And our job is to stand in the gap with prayer, with action, with generosity, with a life lived out, with words of proclamation and faith and see what God does in the process. Friends, our job is to be in war mode, is to stand in prayer and to stand in the promises of God, uniting each other. That's why uniting, friends, unity is such a big thing, friends. Friends, we need to be exercising xenophilia, love of others, rather than xenophobia, phobia, a fear of others. This is a moment for xenophilia to break out over Durban and break out over the earth. And, and we show and we declare by our lifestyles the purposes of God to, a, to, a, to a, a humanity, to a creation, and to heavenly beings that are against God. Isn't it an absolute privilege? That's the second reason why I believe we can have hope. Because God is for us. And if God is for us, friends, who can be against us? And we can stand in that promise. The third reason is this, that we can have hope is the power of God's providence. The Bible says this in chapter 28 of, verse 28 of chapter 8. He says, we know that in all things, we know that all things work toward the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The reason why we can have hope, friends, is that actually we know, we completely know that whatever happens, God is going to turn things around. God is going to take evil turn it on itself and actually bring it, bring something out of it that will further his purpose, not take it, take it off his purpose. And it might take some time and it might, it might look like it's very costly, 
But friends, and I don't know how that all works and I don't know how God sees all that stuff because we're limited in what we know and see. But friends, I want to tell you that the power of the providential hand of God is over us and He is working stuff in us. He's working things through us. He's working out things around us and He's taking His plan towards Jesus who is going to be King of all creation and all of the earth. Friends, the providential hand of God gives me courage and hope to know that something is going to happen where God is going to be glorified through this. Even though God didn't bring it into place, somehow God will use it. Friends, our instruction as believers from Hebrews chapter 12 is this, is to endure hardship as discipline. Discipline meaning not punishment, but coaching and training. Endure all hardship, endure anything that comes as you as a gym moment, as a moment where you're exercising your faith, where you where you trust in God. And it's the ultimate end of that is that actually we will have a harvest of righteousness and peace in our lives. And he talks about how a legitimate son or daughter gets disciplined by his father, gets trained, gets educated by a father. That is our response to hardship, is to consider it as training, to consider it as a maturing and a growing process and allow God to do what he needs to do in us and through us. The number four, my, my fourth reason why we can have hope. Number one, if you remember, is this, Suffering and glory are inextricably linked. Number two, if God is for you, who can be against you? God is not against us in the time. God is for us, working with us and for us and coming around us, bringing solutions, creative ideas, uh, vaccines and, and all sorts of things. God's moving. The third thing is the power of God's providential hand gives me hope for the future. And then the fourth thing finally is this, is we are living God's redemption story not his original story. I love it in this text. There are three groanings that it talks about. There are three groanings. The first groaning is it says creation is groaning and waiting in anticipation for the revelation of the sons and the daughters of God. Great creation is it's, it's, it's groaning for its new birth, for its new birth, for its new moment. It's in, in, in the pangs of childbirth, like a woman in the pangs of childbirth. There's a groaning from creation. The second groaning that, we're, that we see, remember friends, in God's perfect plan, there was no groaning. It's only in God's redemptive plan that there's groaning as we wait and we anticipate what God's wanting to do as we go forward. The second groaning is that the believers are groaning. The believers are groaning. Friends, we are groaning at this time, more so than we normally do. And it says there we groan because we have the Spirit. I'm intrigued by that because you think if we had the spirit, we wouldn't groan. But actually it says, no, you, you groan because you have the spirit. You are groaning. You see, once you have the spirit of God, his demand for holiness enters our lives. We have a sense of God like we never have before. We have a hope in God that we've never had before. And what we do, friends, is that we in this moment, we begin to groan because we are expectant. God puts a hunger in us puts an expectation in us because of the Holy Spirit and says, but now you've got to wait for it. And man, we start to groan. We groan. The believers are groaning. We see we're not in God's original plan. We're God's redemption plan. Don't ever forget that. We're not in heaven yet. We're not in God's, we're not in Eden either. We're in between. We're in the place where God and his kingdom is broken in in Christ and we're expectant and we're his agents and we're his viceroys and we are taking his plan and his purpose to all the earth to make his name famous through all the earth. 
The second way that the believers groan is it says that they groan and yearn for their adoption as sons. Wow. You'd say, but stand, listen, Romans 16, verse 16. If you just go back a little bit to, to 8, verse 16, it says that I can find it in my Bible, yeah? This is what it says. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now we are children, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, and indeed we share in the sufferings. But God, surely you have adopted us. We have been adopted, we your children. But it says here we groan for our adoption as sons. But you see, friends, this is a classic. This is a classic text around the already not yet of the kingdom. The kingdom has come in Jesus, but has not fully come in Jesus. The consummation of the kingdom is coming in his second coming. And we live between the comings of Jesus. And so we are adopted. We are children of God, but we are not like we are going to be with a heavenly body, with a glorified body, as we will be when he finally comes. We are justified, we are reconciled, we are brought into his family. But we are not children in the way that we will possess with our full inheritance, friends. Friends, what God has for us is glorious. And that's not just the word to, to a bit. It's glorious, 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 glory. The weighted presence of God. That's what God has for us. What we have now is nothing in comparison to what's coming. And that's why we can hope. We've got to, it's legitimate to be groaning at this time, waiting in anticipation for God. Groaning is part of the hope that we have as a Jesus follower, friends. Because we have hope. And it's not fulfilled. We groan. The earth is groaning. Creation's groaning. The believers are groaning because we're not living in God's original plan. We're living in God's redemption plan. And thirdly, it says that the Spirit is groaning. Man, I love this. The Spirit of God, it says, is groaning. And I love, I love, I love the. the, the, the the reason why I love this is it says there, in your weakness, the spirit who himself is groaning comes to our aid and helps us in prayer. The spirit himself comes and sustains us in our time of weakness. Our hope sustains us in our time of suffering. And we groan in that. But man, the Spirit comes and sustains us in our time of weakness and comes and puts something in us as the Spirit Himself, as the Spirit Himself begins to groan and groan and groan, longing and knowing what God is wanting to do and knowing what's coming. And He comes and He comes in us and He comes through us and He begins to give us. He prays for us. He intercedes for us. He comes into our hearts and some commentators don't know, is that the groaning that happens with the Spirit and with the Father or is that the groaning that comes from our own hearts? It's probably both. All we know is that the Spirit is groaning in this time. The Spirit of God is groaning in this time. And what did that groaning of the Spirit leads us into prayer, friends. And He helps us in our time of prayer. And He helps us what to say. And, and, and somewhere I read this in one of the, one of the commentaries, commentaries. It says this, Perhaps the most spiritual prayer could be a wordless groan that comes from the heart. 
Friends, when, we, when, when the Spirit of God starts to fill a house and starts to come upon a prayer meeting, I believe we can have prayer meetings where not lots of words are heard, but people start groaning under the unction of the Spirit of God. A deep, wordless groan from the heart starts to emerge, initiated by the Spirit, put in by the Spirit, as we begin to petition God and participate with God and partner with God. It was this groaning that God heard in the days of the Exodus. When the people were groaning under the weight of Pharaoh's um, oppression. And it says God heard their groaning and responded. Friends, the Spirit of God is groaning and that's got to lead us into prayer. Friends, if whatever comes out of this time, I believe this is the one thing. This is one thing I know that God is wanting to do. I don't think you have to be a prophet to know this. God is wanting to put prayer back into the life of a church, of his church. God is wanting to put the power of prayer back into the life of his church worldwide. As individuals, as corporately, in, in all its facets, God is wanting to raise the bar on our prayer life. And the spirit groans. So what shall, I'll leave you with these two last two questions. What then shall we say in response to this? What shall we say in response to this? This is, this is out of Romans. If God is for us, who can be against us? You see, friends, if God is for us, who can be against us? What can we say in response to all of this? What can I say in response to COVID? What can I say in response to lockdown? What can I say in response to the economic place that we're in? I can say this. If God is for us, who can be against us? I'll ask you another question. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? This is also out of Romans, a little bit further down. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or COVID or economic hardship separate us from the love of God? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Friends, this is the promise of God. And this is what so encouraged me about the book of Romans, around chapter 8 of Romans. And how I've just found such courage to realize, man, suffering and glory are inextricably linked. If God is for you, who can be against you? The power of the providential hand of God is profound. And lastly, we live in God's redemption story, not in God's original story. Take some time, reflect on those points and allow God to put strength into you and courage into you. Know this, friends, that we are in war mode. We're in prayer mode. We're in giving mode. We're in sharing mode. We're in, we're in, we're in, we're in kingdom of God come mode. Let, let heaven come to earth as the will of God comes to earth mode. Bless you. Have a great weekend. Love you all. Bless all your families. God's blessing and protection over you. Amen.